Chapter Five of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: A Little Tiff. Everybody knows, as he reads his newspaper, that nothing has ever yet happened in the world with enough of precision and accuracy to get itself described by those who saw it in the same or even in a similar manner. No wonder then that my little adventure, if I have any right to call it mine, presented itself in many different lights not only to the people among whom it spread, but even to the few who were present there and then. Mrs. Jenny Marker's account of what had happened was already very grand that Sunday eve, but as soon as she had slept and dreamed upon it, her great command of words proved unequal to the call made at the same moment by the mind and heart. Everybody listened, for her practice was to pay every little bill upon a Monday morning, and almost everybody was convinced that she was right. "'Miraculous is the only word I can think of,' she said to Mrs. Cutham, who sold tin tacks and cabbages. "'Not a miracle only of the sandy desert, but the places where the trees and waters grow.' "'The Jordan, perhaps, you means, Mrs. Marker, ma'am, or did you please to have in your mind the Red Sea?' "'They were both in my mind, and both come uppermost at the same moment, Mrs. Cutham. But the best authorities inform us now that we must not look for more than we can understand.' Yet I cannot understand how Kit Orchardson contrived after pulling me out to pull out our Miss Kitty. But look, here he comes. Why is he everywhere almost? He seems to swing along so. His uncle ought to work him harder. Not that he is impudent. No one can say that of him. Too bashful for a man, in my opinion. But he seems to have taken such a liking to me, and I must be his senior by a considerable time. I will go into your parlor, my dear Mrs. Cutham, and then I can look out for our poor Miss Kitty. Ah, she is so very young, and no one to stand up for her. Excuse me, Miss Marker, if you please, said Mrs. Cutham, but if I may make so bold to say, you are very young yourself, Miss, in years, though not in worship, and to be run away from school is a thing that may occur to any girl when beautiful. But concerning of Miss Kitty, bless her innocent young face, what you was pleased to say, ma'am, is most surprising. No, Mrs. Cutham, very far from that, when you come to consider what human nature is. I never could do such things myself. I never could sleep easy in my bed if I thought that they ever could be imputed to me. But when we look at things, it is our duty to remember that the world is made up of different people from what we are. What experience you have had, ma'am, and yet keeping your complexion so. Ah, if my poor Cutham could have kept away from the Imperial, but he said it were the duty of a Briton, and he done it. Sally, get away into the backyard with your dolly. I beg your pardon, ma'am, for interrupting you of your words so. Well, one thing I make a point of is, Mrs. Marker continued with a gentle frown, never to enter into any domestic affairs though without any bias of any sort out of doors. We all have enough, as you know, Mrs. Cutham, and sometimes more than we can manage to regulate our own histories. Mrs. Coldpepper is a remarkable lady, so very, so highly superior, but her niece, our Miss Kitty, does not seem as yet to take after her in that particular, and scarcely to be wondered at, when you remember that she is not her niece at all of rights. But this is not a question to interest you much, nor any one outside of what I might call the cold pepper domesticity. What superior words you always do have, as it were, in your muff, Mrs. Marker. 
but if you please to mean, miss, being still so young, I slips into it naturally, the cold pepper manner, why, I was born upon it, and so was my parents before me, and that makes it natural, as you might say, and proper for me to have a word to say about them. I remember all the cold pepper since I was that high, and it never shall go no further. There is nothing to conceal you must never fancy about them. The cold peppers always were a haughty race, and headstrong, but bold and outspoken, and defying of their neighbors. It was bad for any one who crossed them. You know that if you remember old Squire Nicholas. But Miss Kitty Fairthorne is not a cold pepper. You see, you don't know everything about them, Mrs. Cutham. The captain had been married before he ever saw Miss Monica. Oh, Miss Marker, you quite take my breath away. And yet I might have known it. I was bound almost to know it the moment one comes to reflection. Kitty's not a name at all becoming to the rank of the manner of cold pepper. I've been wondering about it many's the time. Arabella and Monica sound something like, but Kitty isn't fit, except for women that has to get their own livelihood. Well, the dees is my mind that she is not a cold pepper. No, Mrs. Cutthumb, but she is a fair thorn, and from all I hear the fair thorns are much better known in the great world of London than our cold peppers. Captain Fairthorne is a man who has discovered more than the whole world knew in our father's days. He can make a bell ring in John O'Groat's house. He can blow up a cliff at the land's end from London. He knows every wrinkle at the bottom of the sea. He can make a ghost stand at eight corners of the room. Can he save his own soul, ma'am? The greengrocer asked in a solemn voice, being a strict Wesleyan. Them vanities, falsely called science nowadays, is the depth of the snare of the evil one. A learned man knows all the bottom of the sea and leaves his own child to be drowned in a brook. Without it was for young kid Orchardson, can he save his own soul, Miss Marker, ma'am? Well, if I was to go by guesswork, I should say that he has not got very much of that to call his own. You know what Miss Monica was, although she has been such a time away from Sunbury. She took her first husband in spite of her father, and the second without a word to anybody. She had a son and two daughters by the Honorable Tom Bullrag, and within a year after them she carried off poor Captain, who is now called Professor Fairthorne. But there, I am told, though I never set eyes on him, being made up of telegraphs and batteries and magnesia, and a thing they called hydrography, he is hardly ever at home for a week together and knows more about the ocean's bed than his own, and a lucky thing for him, for wouldn't she be a nagger if ever she could get the opportunity? It seems to be most unnatural and against the will of the Almighty, Mrs. Cutham replied after serious thought, that a lady should wish to reprove her husband and yet find no ear to put it into. With all his inventions for doing away distance, he ought to be able to manage it. It would make no difference if he did, and could she expect him to pay for it? His mind is so taken up when he is at home that she might as well go on at the bedpost, and if he was to open up his wires it would be at his discretion to receive it all. This makes her rather harsh, as you can understand, with anyone that has no help for it, and our poor Kitty being always in the way, and a rival, as it were, to her own children, Oh, she does know what pepper is, hot and cold and every color. Poor lamb, and she do look so innocent and sweet and so deserving of a real mother. No father to look after her by your own account, ma'am, 
and a stepmother doing it according to her liking. Why don't she run away, such a booty as she is? She's too sweet-tempered and well-principled for that, and she thinks all the world of her father, all the more, no doubt, because he cannot attend to her. His time is too precious for him to mind his daughter. Not that he is money-making, far the other way. Those great discoverers, I have heard to say, are the last to discover the holes in their pockets. Money, Mrs. Cutham, has been too long discovered for him to take any heed of it, and that makes another source of trouble in the household. To think of our sending the big carriage and two footmen to find a young lady in a third class at Feltham, I took care to keep it from Miss Coldpepper. Oh, that would have been shocking, cried the widow with her hands up. Why, the third class ain't good enough for a dead pig to drain in, anyways in the southwestern line. Well, ma'am, and how did Miss Coldpepper take it? Of things I never speak out of the house. We are liable to air the very best of us, I believe, and I know it from my own feelings. Those last twenty boxes of star matches we had from you, Miss Cutham, were stars, and make no mistake, shooting stars they should be labeled. They go off like a cannon. I have had to pay for three new aprons, and it was a mercy they didn't set the house afire. Oh, they hussies, they never know how to strike them, and your Miss Coldpepper, she does change so often, never so much as a month, ma'am, without some of them giving warning. That is no concern of yours, Mrs. Cutham. If you speak in this low style of Coldpepper manner, you will have to withdraw its custom, ma'am, from your, your little establishment." Mrs. Jenny Marker, as she spoke, gathered in her jacket, which was plated with blue velvet, because she was proud of her figure, or at least so some people said, who could not well get at her pockets. And although she meant no more by this than to assert her own dignity, Mrs. Cutham, with all the fine feelings of a widow, was naturally hurt, and showed it, and strange enough to say, though it seems a trifle, what ensued made a very great difference to me. I am truly grieved, madam she said with a curtsy, that my little house, which is the best I can afford, and my little shop, which was set up for me by my very kind neighbors, as own no manners, when it pleased the Almighty to afflict me low, and deprive me of a good man who could always pay his cent, and never would allow me to be put upon a model husband, no doubt, Mrs. Cutham, except as I fancy you observed just now, for his devotion to the imperial pint, or perhaps I should say gallon. May you never have a worse if you ever catches any, and high time in life, ma'am, for you, Miss Jenny Marker, or Mrs. Whichever you may be, and nobody in Sunbury knows the bottom of it to be thinking a little now of your soul, ma'am, and less of your body, and the other things that perish. You draw in your cloak, ma'am, or isn't it a cloak, nothing so suitable and sensible as that, just as if my poor goods wasn't good enough to touch it. Perhaps that's the reason why you beats them down so. I beg you to remember, Jenny Marker, that I consider myself as good as you are, madam, though I am not tricked out with gewgaws and fallals. And what I eats I earns, ma'am, and not the bread of servitude. That will do, my good woman. I never lose my temper, though I have never been insulted before like this, even by the lowest people. "'Send in your little bill this very afternoon, "'if one of your wonderful neighbors will be good enough to make it out for you, "'as you have never been taught to write, poor thing. 
but whoever does it must not forget to deduct the price of three rotten French eggs. End of chapter 5